0: and fish can coexist peacefully. Read my lip. And then we're going to Washington, D.C. to take back the White House. Ah! I love the poorly
1: educated. We're the smartest people. We're the most loyal people.
2: We leave you guys alone for two fucking seconds. (laughs) Try to have a break and you pull this shit. Unreal. How many things did we miss? I mean, the big one, obviously. That's
1: crazy.
2: That's all we—that's all we've been talking about yeah. for what a year at yeah. this point? Over Mueller, a year? Mueller
0: report. Mueller report. <laughs> I take one week to go on vacation and they release it.
2: Um, They're obviously avid listeners to the podcast because they're just trying to screw with us. Or maybe they don't like us and they're just trying to screw with us.
1: Or maybe they think we're trying to screw with them because the week the Mueller report is released, we release something on the Constitution. Either way. (laughs) I
2: hope you guys liked that episode. Not as many of you liked that episode, but we thought it was really entertaining. It's a good good one. (laughs) On that note, welcome back, guys. Uh, Barstool Politics. I am your host, Nick McGuire, joined as always by Dr. Bill Muck from North Central College and Dr. Phil Barker from Keene State College. Welcome back, guys. Good to see you, Nick. Oh, yeah. Um, before we get started, all the fun stuff that, uh, that you're used to, uh, if you like the podcast, uh, have questions, comments, beer suggestions, things you want us to talk about, uh, follow us on Twitter at Barstool Paul, P-O-L, Facebook at Barstool Politics beers that we try you can uh find on untapped which you can download on ios or android uh the podcast um what was that <laughs> i'm okay <laughs> um the podcast uh spotify itunes uh stitcher google play music most major podcasting flat uh flat platforms platforms
0: <laughs> we're on a roll today. we're on a roll yes.
2: <laughs> Ooh, just knocking that dust off um podcasting platforms. Uh, Review us, share us, like us through there. Uh, And then we are also uh, partnered with predicted. Uh, If you guys aren't familiar, uh, predicted is a real money political prediction market, uh, pretty much a stock market for politics where you can buy and sell shares in future political events. Um, We use it all the time uh, for the topics that we look at uh, and see where people are are, um, putting their money, uh, what the likely outcomes of things are going to be uh, for future political events, uh, democratic primary, um, Mueller report findings, uh, release of the Mueller report, anything like that. They had one on the Ukrainian presidential election. It was hey, kind of fascinating. Yeah. That's a feather in your cap. Yeah. Um, yeah. What's great for our listeners. Um, if you open up a new account, uh, you receive up to a $20 match on your first deposit. So for example, if you open up a $20 account, I predict it will match that $20 giving you $40 to use on predicted, which is awesome. Uh, just use the promo link, predicted.org slash promo, slash BarstoolPaul20, uh, and get some free money to check that out. Thank you, PredictIt. Yeah. Welcome back, guys. Um, God, this is just...
1: What should we talk about, Nick? I don't really know, we dude. Like, I about?
2: We're really kind of <laughs> struggling with this. Um, I mean, the biggest thing, the biggest obvious thing... Um... Guys... <laughs> We won! We did it! It's over. And he won. Complete vindication.
1: Total vindication.
2: Yep. Ah. Nobody could... It's just... It's indisputable now.
1: Four pages (laughs) cleared everything up.
2: Oh, thank God. He really is the best, isn't he? He's
1: he's been behaving like
2: it. All right. Now that I got that out of the way.
1: (laughs) All right. So let's dive into the Mueller report. So for the last two years, the country has obsessed over Robert Mueller's investigation. For many Republicans, Mueller represented the worst of the deep state. The investigation was, as President Trump repeatedly said, a witch hunt bent on bringing down the president. For Democrats, Mueller was an angel sent down from the heavens who would make everything okay by exposing the president for the criminal he was. Yet the four-page summary offered by the Attorney General created as many questions as it answered. The report apparently clears Trump of conspiring with the Russians, but Mueller punted on the question of obstruction of justice. Uh, and all we have from the, to work on right now is Barr's four-page summary, Has not a single page of the nearly 400-page Mueller report has actually been released. Seeing as I was vacationing in Hawaii last week, uh, good timing, we didn't get a chance to break it all down. But Phil, after having a, a week and some change to think about this, now now you're really ready to talk about the Mueller report.
0: So, where do we start? <laughs> <laughs> go. I mean, so I, I, we, I guess we start by putting it in perspective to some extent. I, I mean, I think a week and a half after this. The takeaway is that we still don't know what the hell's in the Mueller report, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, this is the people uh, that was the thing that sort of drove me crazy for several days afterwards, is that everyone from the Trump administration to the media, everyone talking about what the Mueller report had concluded when no one, I mean, a handful of people have seen the actual Mueller report. And so, um, I mean, I think in some ways, where are we is we have slightly better knowledge of the Mueller report than we did two weeks ago, but mm-hmm. only slightly like we they, if you take 300 pages and give me a couple of quotes from it and say, essentially, there's not crim- not enough to prosecute criminally the president, I, that's I mean, that's information, right? We know more. And and that is. Good. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. The, the, the extent to which the, the, the sides sort of reacted so strongly um, that somehow this was a tremendous vindication that the bar of like criminal prosecution was surpassed and so Trump is like the greatest ever <laughs> yes. or the the other side of it which was that people were like rooting for the president to be a criminal it's like a, you know in some ways the the if if the president didn't violate uh, you know didn't violate federal laws that's a that is a good thing and we should be um, happy hap- with that
1: yes the mm-hmm. democrats should be happy with that as well no yep. they're not they're very unhappy <laughs> <Yes>. always
0: I, <laughs> <laughs> I think the key is for me, at least, is that there is so much more to this report, Um, even uh, from a, in a sense of, you know, obviously we've, we have a couple of quotes, whereas there's 300 pages, but I mean, even the the question of did Donald Trump violate laws by conspiring with the Russians is an important question to answer. But beyond that, there are all sorts of other questions about, you know, ethics and the, you know, the sort of intelligence aspect about, you know, whether the we should be concerned about the president's behavior, even if it's not um, illegal. Um, I I can't help but feel like that stuff is in the Mueller report, but we haven't seen it yet. Right. And so I I don't want to come out and say, oh, when when we see the full Mueller report, it will reveal that Trump is a terrible person who is working with the Russians, just not to the level of criminality. And I don't want to do the other, which is that there's nothing there. But it's just it feels like we're we've worked ourselves up over this when, in fact, we are we have yet to actually know what the hell is in the Mueller report, even the fact that they found no conspiracy. That, that that
1: it's a beginning, right? But does that mean that there was no evidence at all that Trump was anybody in the Trump administration was conspiring? Is it is it as he said a total vindica- vindication, which it could be, or is it that there wasn't enough evidence to charge a crime, which is a very different level, right? And and we don't know, and it may be it may be the former where. You know, he was uh, an amateur at this and the campaign was an amateur and they they didn't want to collude at all but they were open to meetings or is it that they they got close to that line but they didn't cross it
0: we don't know we have no idea and we don't even know I mean we have a hint from the bar letter that what was meant by conspiracy or whatever collusion um, it's a pretty narrow definition of what that entails right so it could be very well that there was there were interactions there was "Quote unquote collusion" in an informal way, but not in the the way that Mueller, you know, as a prosecutor, would say, "Hey, this is a a case worth bringing," especially with all the baggage of you know bringing it against a president and 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 what's involved in that. I I mean, ultimately, that's this is that uh, we are doing right now what pundits and you know news people have been doing for the last week and a half, which is talking out of our ass about what might be (laughs) in the Mueller report, because we don't know. We don't know what's in the Mueller report at
2: this (laughs) point. Mm. Um, I I mean, realistically, Barr is, uh, Mueller and Barr are purely mandated to provide a summary, not even a summary, an understanding of whether or not charges were going to be brought forward um, related to the investigation. We may never see the full report. And realistically, I'm of the mindset and a, a lot of political commentators, you know, people like us who are talking out of their ass, um, previously, uh, right up until the report was released, were saying it might not be the the best option to release the full report and have this be a new Clinton Ken Starr investigation debacle. Um, I, I I I understand the the want and potential need for some people to see the full breadth of what was there. <clears throat> but realistically, we know that the Mueller team, which again, the Democrats put all of their eggs into this mm-hmm. particular basket and now they're apparently unhappy with the results, are saying that, well, you may not bring specific charges, but we still want to know how you came to that conclusion and what his his behavior or if there was an inkling that there was some other, you know, ulterior motive or 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 um Uh, method of thinking that alludes to some sort of nefarious behavior. I don't give a shit about that. Mm -hmm. You are leading an investigation to figure out whether he colluded from a legal standpoint with a a foreign entity or a foreign nation, a foreign power. If you're not going to do that, that's fine. You can can have another, Congress can do whatever they want after that point. But if it's in in relation to the Mueller investigation itself, the job is done at this point. Mm -hmm. I think to some extent to a significant extent um going deeper than that in this particular vein is only going to muddy the political waters even more than they already are and releasing the report is not going to vindicate one side more than another it's going to be exactly what we saw when the report was released it's either complete vindication or they're going to call for impeachment trials I, I i what what is the benefit at this point
1: maybe it maybe it tamps down some of the conspiratorial thinking right i mean the idea is that the reality is it's probably going to be somewhere in the middle nick right i mean yeah. there's probably trump probably engaged <laughs> in some stupid behavior you're right probably that Maybe came close to conspiracy but was maybe more stupid than it was criminal but that's helpful right if we can say that it was an amateur campaign that did some silly things but they weren't criminal that's that's important for history uh, and I think it's important to, to pull the country back into some sense of normalcy because, you know, everybody's just, <coughs> I, again, Democrats are losing. Rachel Maddow is like losing her mind, right? I mean, she she's crying, drifted into conspiratorial. Like I mean, lunatic. she's become too far left. And I think, you know, Trump's idea that he's he's totally vindicated, you know, I'm not, until we
0: get the report, I'm not so sure that's a legitimate claim either. So, so I, I, go ahead, go so I, I want to respond to a couple of things there, the two points that bo- that you both touched on. One about the Democrats freaking out because Rachel Maddow is freaking out. But yeah. Rachel Maddow is also not the Democrats. Right. So we we associate mm. her with the Democrats. But I, I, you know, I'm I think the Democrats are really good at screwing things up. But I, I think <laughs> for the most part. They have handled this relatively well. So when I look at the presidential field, the people who are running for president, none of I mean, they're out there talking policy issues, right? They're talking immigration. They're talking, you know, Elizabeth Warren's talking about economic reforms and corporate reforms. You know, Beto has uh, is talking about uh, immigration and addressing the crisis in Central America. You know, Kamala Harris released uh, immigration reform like they're not running on Mueller are the Mueller report right they're they're running on the issues so i think the democrats have done the the actual like democratic candidates have done a pretty good job you know nancy pelosi has tried to distance herself from the idea of impeachment or that Mueller report matters the the democratic pundits have not right (laughs) they've done a terrible job (laughs) of that like they've that's been the thing that they've wanted to talk about forever so i i mean i'm that makes me a little more optimistic or hopeful about the democratic um party the other part that i that i wanted to Touch on which is that when we talk about Mueller report, we tend to talk just about Trump and collusion. But the origins of the Mueller report are much bigger than that, right? It was about looking into Russian interference in the American presidential election. Mm-hmm. And so, even with the bar letter, we have just honed in on, we've focused in on this idea of no established collusion and, you know, uh, uh, obstruction of justice, sort of either or. Um, but what what is also in that uh, bar letter is that Russians did intervene in the in the right. election. Yeah. That uh, you know of all of these, there have been a number of indictments that have come from the Mueller investigation, where he has indicted Russians and Russian agents involved in this, other people who have been involved in this. That is the part where, beyond the pol- the politics of it, beyond whether you like Trump or not, that's the part that I think is it, that needs to be released. Right, that needs to be part of our discussion. I think. Nope, I Not nobody. Very few people's opinions are going to be changed about Trump based on the Mueller report. If you look at, at public opinion polls that have come out like this week, so a week and a half have passed since Barr's letter r- was released, his numbers are basically exactly the same. They've moved like one point one way or the other. So the number of people who think that he is exonerated or think that he is guilty has not changed at all. And I imagine that when the full report comes out, uh, the full report might change more minds than the bar letter Mm -hmm. um but i don't think it's going to you know trump supporters aren't going to you know if you're a diehard trump supporter even if there's a ton of evidence there you're going to write it off as a witch hunt or whatever and if you think that trump's a criminal through and through then no amount of you know evidence from Mueller is going to change that so i think there might be some voices in the middle some people's minds in the middle that might change but the bigger issue of, like, we, you know, Russia is still doing this, right? They're still doing this in, in elections in the U.S. They're doing it in other countries around the world. Like, this is an important issue about protecting our elections and our democracy. And that, mm-hmm. I don't, that's the part where I think, okay, mm-hmm. put aside your ideas about Trump. We, this is a conversation. This is a report. This is information that certainly Congress needs to have, but really the American people should have access to. Mm-hmm. I also, I'm off my soapbox now. <laughs> <laughs> I also think that for the
1: Democratic party as a whole, running on getting the Mueller report released is probably a a winning issue because you can frame it as transparency. And anytime you're saying that the other side isn't being transparent, whether or not that's true or not, you're probably in a better position. So every time Trump has to say, you know, Trump has been talking a lot about, um, how with the, the Star report, Democrats were reluctant to release this. And that, that's true. Democrats are being hypocrites in that they didn't want the Star report released and they want the Mueller report released. But politicians are hypocrites. Right. That's just the reality. Then more than others. Right. <laughs> so but if you are the Democrats right now saying release it, whatever it says, you know, I, I think that's a that's a a good issue for them to hammer home and they're going to put Trump on the defensive if if they don't release it or they release something that's heavily redacted and there's still some you know even if it's not nefarious some story out
0: there Something like eighty percent of Americans think it should be released. Mm-hmm. Right, like even a significant chunk of 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 Trump supporters think it should be yeah mm-hmm. released to the public. Mm-hmm. And I, that's where I also come. Uh, I, your point is also something that I buy into. Regardless of which side you're on, the idea of transparency is yeah. seems like a that's you know all things being equal, being transparent about this is a good thing.
1: Yeah. And I think both Mueller appears to have done a great job with this. And I I will say, like, the attorney general has has handled... He's in an incredibly difficult position right now. Handled it fairly well. And his, you know, his four-page report may be a little light. uh, But I I don't get the sense that he is going to be bullied by Trump on this. You know, I I just feel like he is more attuned to history. You don't agree,
0: Phil? (laughs) I don't think he's going to be bullied by Trump. I I, I mean, he has a long, respectable history, right? Like, I think he's... I, I don't... I don't want to downplay him as, you know, he's no, he's not a, he's no Sean Spicer, right? right. Like, or, or the
1: previous guy, Whitaker, right? Who was just going to do whatever Trump wanted right. and sweat.
0: Having said that, he, he has a very clear philosophy um, yes. about presidential power and about the ability to prosecute a president and the president's rights that he wrote. like So, you know, before he got nom- nominated as attorney general... <laughs> He wrote what this twenty-page memo about how the president can't be, you know, prosecuted or whatever. And, and he did it and for, then fun, get, for fun. For <laughs> fun. And, and then yeah, right. And then conveniently gets named attorney general. So I'm not saying that he is, like, in some way corrupt, right? But it, also, it's not it's not coincidental that he was chosen by Trump, right? No. So the idea that uh, that we should that he's you know he's uh, an up you know upstanding person and therefore. Uh, we should just take, you know, trust what he says is also, I don't it's not that we shouldn't mistrust him, but you have to understand who he is and where he's coming from as well. Sure. Um, and understanding that.
2: Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think that's a fair point. But I mean, realistically, I would assume if he's being deceptive about what's in the report, Mueller and his team would have something to say about it. So are we talking about an individual who's reporting on an investigation who's being deceitful? Or are we now going to the point that the investigation itself was compromised, and shouldn't we have been talking about that for the past mm-hmm. year or so? Like, I, I don't – again, I don't know what the benefit of seeing this report is going to be. I agree it probably should be released, but I don't think that it's going to change anyone's mind, and I think that everyone's reliance on the 24-hour news cycle is skewing opinions even more than it already already has been. Um, I, I, I just think it's going to be extraordinarily damaging going forward. I,
0: so I think that's I, I, I totally understand your point, but I, I think that's why it should be released, because okay. what you had was because of the questions about, you know, has this been Mueller is kind of the only person in this whole shindig that has still some credibility. Right. That he, he was in he was independent. He was a Republican, like all this stuff that goes into it. Um. People can question Barr. Uh, the weirder part that nobody's talking about is that Rosenstein was involved in this decision. He's a he's a freaking material witness in this investigation. Like <laughs> yes. the fact that he is involved in deciding what gets released and what doesn't. Um, is crazy. Like he, that's that is weird to me. That he, like, I don't. Again, it's not that I don't, I don't distrust him. I think he's good at his job, but it, it's just one of those. It, he shouldn't be a part of it. So, mm-hmm. all of the people that are, you know, the Trump appointees and whatnot, cast that doubt on it. And so you're going to have people who are going to think that it's, you know, there there's a cover up. And I, I just that's part of the reason why I think that Mueller, who was from the beginning, the whole point was we need someone separate. Who's therefore not intimidated by Trump? That's not you know working for Trump, not answering to Trump, to investigate this. And Mueller can do that. And you know if the bar summary is right, he's willing to say this is you know there is no crime here. I, I think that's why it's important to have this. Imp- it may not change minds, but for the legitimacy of it of the whole thing, I, I just think I think it's important to have that information available rather than through a filter, in which you can question the filter. So.
2: I... Would it be better to have a redacted copy of the report released, or would it be better to have Mueller or a member of his team testify before Congress about the investigation?
1: That's a great, I, great question. My fear is that if if Mueller they bring Mueller before the Congress, he is going to be very taciturn about this and 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 say it's in the report, right? I mean, I think he is he is not going to be a public spokesman for this. He's going to reference. And and say every – he's going to limit everything that he says to what can be released in the report. So I don't know if that gets us anyplace new. Okay. This seems
0: like – I realize that nothing's easy in politics, but this seems like a – in my mind, this is – there could be an easy solution to this. Like, Congress should get the full report, right? They should have an unredacted version that they can see. And then there should be a redacted version that is available for the public to see. But the question will be about what's redacted and are they covering up for Trump? Mm-hmm. But that seems like an easy solution. You put together a committee of Democrats and Republicans, right? And they have to agree on the redactions. If Democrats don't think that this is, is actually important for intelligence reasons or ongoing investigations, they can you can have that debate. But then you have a bipartisan discussion about what should be redacted that gets released to the public. I, I realize Entirely that too that is reasonable. not, yeah, not going I know. That's, Way I know. too reasonable,
2: <laughs> Phil. Yep, yeah, yeah. We'll see you in five years.
1: <laughs> One of the reasons I think it's so important <clears throat> that it gets released is that while Mueller did apparently make a, a determination about conspiracy and collusion, he punted... On obstruction of justice, and mm. and a major element of this investigation is whether the president obstructed justice. So, and he so essentially he gave this to the attorney general and to Rosenstein to say, you guys determine that. I I've been trying to figure out why he did that, because a lot of other prosecutors, federal prosecutors, are saying we never do this. Our job is to offer an opinion. It's either criminal conduct or it's short of criminal conduct. We don't say to somebody else, you decide. And so why did Mueller do this on this one critical element? Was it because he thought, this is a political question? I can't indict the president. I need to kick this to Congress because it's really their job to do that. Um, I I mean,
2: I feel like that's the time when you want him to testify about what the opinion is. I think the report might shed light on it, but that seems like a very... Nuanced thing that might get lost in sure bizarre well, partisan interpretation. But why the
1: Congress? At minimum, the Congress would need to see this report in its entirety sure. to, to to weigh in on that. And I think probably the public as well, because anytime you get a, a political question, you probably have to release that. Um,
0: but that could be that. That's an interesting point. That that could be even if Mueller were called before Congress to testify, even if his response was, "It's in the report." There are other questions they could ask, like that. Why did you make this decision? Was mm-hmm. it, yes. you know, was was it your belief that this is a decision that Congress has to make yes. in their oversight role, or was it that? And so you could get at some of that, which could lead us down the road of whether or not the report itself needs to be given to Congress. <laughs> yes. if, mm-hmm. if his intent was that I'm not going to make a decision on this because that's Congress's call to make. Um, it would be nice to know that and yep. Mueller's Mueller because he, I think he is the consummate professional isn't, is not going to say that, right. If, if R is misrepresenting him or if he's not doing what Mueller had in mind, Mueller's not going to, you know, he's not going to do a James Comey and tweet weird stuff. About oh. like James Comey is do- he's out in a field, staring was, off into the, yeah, middle distance. In the middle of the field or he's in the <laughs> middle of
1: a highway these days. Yeah. Oh, Comey is not helping himself with those tweets. No. no. Yeah,
0: no, not at all. Um, what? Yeah. So, uh, so today the what the House uh, subpoenaed the full Mueller report. I don't right. know if or, or they didn't subpoena it. They voted to issue subpoenas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I guess the what what was the what I read is that they're still hoping that the that Barr will provide the full report without having to go through the subpoena process. But the Democrats are going to fight this, right? They're going to push to get the full report, and I think that's the smart thing, both politically, and I think it's the it's I think it's the right thing to do. Um, but uh, I mean, how do you think this plays out? what what it, It's a weird, uh, you know, the trump the Trump camp is making weird arguments, right? This report totally vindicates us. It shows that this is a witch hunt which is weird right yeah. this is a witch hunt illegitimate investigation <laughs> that totally legitimate like totally proves that I was innocent right? <laughs> right which those two in and of themselves are problematic but then also this thing that totally proves my innocence I refuse to release right. I don't want anyone to see it so the Trump campaign you know the Trump camp is all screwed up about this but uh, you know what do you what do you see happening how is this gonna play out I don't see any way this report doesn't get either released or leaked right mm-hmm. so yeah. if they're
1: to play hardball and not release it or release a heavily redacted version it's gonna get out i mean i I, they've done a really good job up until this point of preventing it getting out to a larger audience but it's gonna happen there's too much interest in it so if if i am bar i i realize that's gonna happen and i try to get this out and i think he's he's made an effort to try to say we're gonna get as much as we can out as quickly as we can and there are real reasons for redacting information so grand jury testimony can't be in there ongoing investigations can't be in there so i think those are real things that you have to keep out um, grand
0: grand jury information can't be in there unless a judge approves right it, right mm-hmm. which is with the star report it was all in there yes. like yeah. every bit of it was in
1: there so they, they could do that right absolutely they could yeah. do that but the ongoing investigations and let's be honest there are a fair amount There's of ongoing investigations too so okay. so i i think Barr's best move would be to get as much of this out as he can if not, it's I, going to get leaked, and that's worse for the Trump administration. Mm-hmm. Nick, I
0: agree.
1: I, I, no, go, go ahead, ahead, Phil. No, please.
0: <laughs> no, I, I, think it's gonna, it, it's gonna, there's just gonna be too much public pressure. I, I mean, Barr is basically saying what mid, mid April he's going to have a redacted version to Congress. Once this hits Congress, right, it's going to leak. Yes. Right, somebody, mm-hmm. somebody, some junior, you know, Congress is going to release stuff. Um, somebody who, and you know, they'll never be. You know, this—they're presidential aspir— they presidential aspir they do not have presidential aspirations. Somebody who doesn't really care will do this, and they'll be a, you know, a democratic hero for doing it. And so it's going to get—it's going to come out. Um, we're going to see it. It's just a matter of when and how much information we have access to. Um, the deep state will get it out, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking deep
2: state. <laughs> uh, I, LA, I, I, again, I don't disagree with you guys that I, I, I. I in theory, I think the report should be released for the sake of transparency and you know the strength of, of federal institutions. Um, but I, like I just I, I I fear this getting released and the main points um, being pretty closely related to Barr's summary and then. The individual, uh, uh, the partisan aspects, who or partisan um, interpretations, interpretations of it. Right? Yeah, of yeah. it. Yeah. Wow, I am really struggling today. <laughs> um, we're gonna, we're just gonna find things that are are going to pick it apart. That things, are, it's it's just, it's never gonna be enough for anybody. Um, I, I think that. You know, as much as you make fun of, or we all make fun of, of Trump and the Republicans and and his administration, saying that this is a complete vindication. Realistically, that's the end of the story for them. Whereas the Democrats now have to say this is an investigation that, we, oh, excuse me, we were extraordinarily um, supportive of. Now we need to see everything because at least from the outside, uh, it looks like it didn't go our way. And we want to pick this apart to find something that we can use. I, like, I just I, uh, sorry, I, uh, okay.
1: I, I think you're there is absolutely a partisan interpretation and angle to this. But there also is, you know, at some point there's got to be a reckoning for all of the behavior that the Trump administration engaged in. You know, the the Trump Tower meeting. Trump's relationship with Russia. I mean, there are are a lot of really bizarre things. I agree. Yeah, and if this report will help shed some light on that, it's valuable.
2: If the end result of it is there was no collusion, there was no evidence of collusion, there is potentially obstruction of justice, but it's pretty hazy at best then, like, what else do you want to? But that's good. <laughs> that's I mean, I know,
1: the Rachel Maddow will want more, but I think for well, she's much, a lunatic. much of the country, that might be enough, right? Uh, to say, okay, we've got, we understand what this means going into 2020, and we can assess that and, and make our, you know, electoral choices.
0: Mm-hmm. But, I mean, I think, I, I I understand what you're saying, but I think that the um, I, I mean, I, I guess I think there's there are people right there are democrats who without a doubt just want to you know pick this apart and show why it's not it's not accurate but i think there are a lot of people who want to see it for other reasons mm-hmm. and you could imagine good reasons for what i could imagine in fact there are people i follow on twitter who are you know moderate or even not all that moderate republicans who want to know like what's the actual like what's going on like if i'm going to make a decision in this next election about trump or someone else like i need to know this information and so yeah. i I think that the full release serves a bigger purpose than just the partisan attacks. And the other part is that you your argument is is valid, but it's also working on the assumption that what Barr said is accurate, that this is a good summary of what the what the Mueller report says, mm-hmm. right? No collusion. Um, and I think until we see the report, we don't necessarily know that. And so I, the other part of it, I think for Democrats who need to relax a little bit about this is that um, the Mueller like this report or the collusion thing is not all there is to them, to the Russia investigation mm-hmm. or to Trump's legal issues. Right. Like, I think this is where Mueller is smart. Like he has handed off so many different things that came up to other you know, prosecutors, other sure. you know, districts. And so those sorts of things are going. So even if the Mueller report is released in full and it, you know, says, hey, there's nothing criminal that the president did in regards to trying to rig the election with Russia, then, you know, it, again, like as we're saying, Democrats should be thankful, right? Should mm-hmm. be glad that that is the case. Right. And rely on other prosecutors and whatnot to continue the investigations that are ongoing into the Trump, you know, the Trump Foundation and all sorts of other stuff.
2: Mm-hmm. I, 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 realistically, I, I agree with every point that, that you just made. I, I'm, I'm concerned that while I, I do agree there are, you know, moderate Republicans and moderate Democrats who really just want to see the report and the investigation process and, and understand what the process was. Um, I think there are more people who are taken in by partisan talking points and the media who are not going to fall into that camp. And that worries me because there's it's significantly easier to influence them than a moderate who's going to require reading a 300-page report to come up with an opinion, as opposed to someone who's going to listen to 20 seconds of political pundits on Fox News or MSNBC to decide what they think.
1: That's that's a yeah. great point, and nobody's yep. yeah. Very few people are going to read the three hundred pages. But Nick, the truth will set us all free. Right? I don't think
2: it will. <laughs> but that's cute that you think that. We should talk beers. <laughs> <laughs> this this is ah. Uh, it was good to talk bowler. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Bill, uh, what were, were you going to say? It? That was a year and a half of our fucking life. Yeah, I know it was right. <laughs> yeah, and
0: it will continue to be. I yeah. I, yeah. I don't. I think that's the other part is that we seem seem to think that this is the end point when in fact this is what this is going to be is the beginning of all sorts of congressional investigations all sorts of yep. other investigations that are ongoing it's going to be 30 years before we fully understand all the stuff yeah. that is like involved in this you know what, what has happened and you know oh, historians have access to documents and mm-hmm. you know i feel like there's still stuff that we're figuring out and learning about watergate that's the way this is going to play out
1: phil and i are going to be teaching about this 30
0: years from now and our students are going to be the... like stop this boring Ooh. history <laughs> <laughs> <Yes. Yep. laughs> uh what are you drinking phil so i am drinking uh, a beer called Chinookerd. Um, It's from Lawson's (laughs) Finest Liquids, which is a great name for a brewery. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Which is out of Vermont, Waitsfield, Vermont. So this is Chinooker because of the it's Chinook Chinook, um, hops. So this is their American IPA. Um, You know, I've missed. It's not that in between podcasts I don't drink, but I don't like pick the I don't I don't sit down and enjoy a good beer like I like I do when we do the podcast. This is really nice. This is really good. Um, it's you know it, it, I I've said before I like IPAs but I don't like when they're like over the top powerful. This is um, nice. It's got that like grapefruity citrusy, mm-hmm. but it's got a little bit of the kind of uh, um, foresty, like piney, like kind of flavor to it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, this is very good. I would I would gladly drink another one of these. Chinookered. Yeah, that's a good review. And Barker
1: doesn't always give good reviews. I don't. <laughs> He'll say things like, "This tasted remember, like yes, you know uh, grass." That coffee, peanut butter, craft <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nick, what are we having?
2: Uh, we are having a uh, <clears throat> uh, Elvis juice from uh, Brew Dog, which is I can't tell if it's Canal Winchester, Ohio, or if it's just Winchester, Ohio. Um, but uh, Brew Dog Brewery or yeah. Brewing, one of the two. Um, which is a grapefruit-infused IPA um, with other uh, citrus flavors. Um, IPAs, I, like I feel like they generally have kind of a group or grape. Wow, why? What is wrong with me today? A <laughs> uh, grapefruity kind of taste. And this just dials it to eleven, and it's it's really intense.
1: So, uh, yes, and for that reason, I really like it. So we've had a. It's you, different. Yeah, we've had a lot of IPAs, and, and you're right; they tend to blend together. This one, it takes it to another level of grapefruit, and mm-hmm. for me. That's really good. Yeah. I, I've, I I like this one a lot. It's
2: like a um it's like a slightly heavier kind of grapefruit shandy kind yes. of thing.
1: Yeah, that's a great yeah, it's it's not to shandy level, but it's tr- it's an IPA trending that way. Yeah, yeah. It's
2: super um it's super carbonated, it's really light. Yeah. Uh compared to most IPAs that we've had. Um and it has that really strong citrusy kind of tart bite to it. Yeah. Um Me Likey. Yeah, it's pretty good. <laughs> not gonna lie. Yeah. Um if you guys want to check out the beers that we have on the podcast, uh, download Untapped on iOS and Android, uh, look for Barstool Politics, and you can find all of our
1: reviews on there. Speed round? Yeah. Let's do it. hmm All right. I'll tell you what. I feel bad for British Prime Minister Theresa May. It's... it's oh, You holy. really shouldn't. No, no I, I, th- <laughs> I, I think I should. <laughs> so she's, she's had her Brexit deal rejected three times is going to have to ask the EU for another delay and has so little support from her own party that on Tuesday, she said she'd be willing to talk to other political parties about making a deal. All of this just 10 days before the UK is scheduled to leave the European Union with or without an agreement. May said she would implement any deal that was agreed to by a majority in the UK Parliament. Quote, this is the decisive moment in the story of these islands, and it requires national unity to deliver the national interest. Phil, this can't get any worse. I mean, it really is no. bad. Uh, it seems almost inevitable that we're heading toward a hard Brexit. Uh, what's what's your take on all of this? Who's t- who's to blame? What's going on?
0: Enlighten us. Every, they're all everyone's to blame. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I just i i you, uh, you know I say you shouldn't feel bad for i. I there was a point where I would have felt bad for... Where I did feel bad for Theresa May. That moment has long gone, <laughs> right? She continues to go back and ask for support um, and not get it. Her own party is, like, screwing her over. Like, the idea that she thinks that this is going to work this time... Last time, last week when she put this up for a vote, she added the addendum of, if you'll just pass this, I'll resign. And even that <laughs> oh, wasn't enough yes. to get it through. Um, she, uh, It's just today... I don't know if you saw this. Today they voted on extending the the window for figuring out Brexit, and it tied. It was an exact <laughs> tie in Parliament. That is like the perfect metaphor. Oh, for, like they can't even decide how they want to decide the thing. Yeah, I, it's just the the. I, this is the you know what. Who's who is it that is it? Who was it? Was it Einstein that said like the definition of insanity is doing the same thing, or was that Mark Twain? The wow. idea of like mm-hmm. doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results—that yeah. mm-hmm. is what they are doing, right? They continue <laughs> to vote on the same thing, and it continues to fail. There's, it's just, it's just nuts. She should, she should resign. Corbyn should resign on the labor side. Yeah. Like they just need new leadership all across the board. I, I'm i sort of surprised. Like there have been times, you know, when you look at European politics, there have been times like in Italy, uh, 25 years ago, there were the Italian politics. There were corruption scandals and whatnot that just led to the collapse of the Italian political party system, like all new political parties emerged out of that I'm sort of surprised we're not there. That like mm-hmm. that the, the both labor and conservative parties aren't just totally delegitimized. Um, I, I, it's it's shocking to see Britain sort of continue to go down this route without. Like, there's just got to be some somebody's got to give, but. I, I would have one thing. To
1: you. Yeah. Everything you said is absolutely spot on. But I will say that over, like, they had two days where they voted on every other alternative. So that yep. you know, Theresa May's option, mm-hmm. and then they said, well, "What are the ten other options?" And all of <laughs> those were voted family. down too. So it's not like they're saying, "We want this, and you won't bring it to a vote." Theresa May said, "Whatever <laughs> you think, we want to try." And they said, "Don't want that. Don't want that. Don't want that. Don't." I mean, it's just it they continue won't. to say nothing. Is going to work.
2: I, I mean, what do they want at this point? Anarchy. Like, I, I, that's the thing. Stupidity. Like, I really yeah. don't understand what they want. A A, bigger There doesn't fire. seem to be any yeah. strategic thinking behind this at all from ding, ding, from ding, ding, ding. <laughs> either side. They just, they yeah, they want chaos. Um, and I I cannot fathom why there isn't more like visible uproar about this from the general population. Like, realistically, you should be in the streets screaming for a new referendum or for the dismantling of the parties and and for new leadership to be put in place but there doesn't seem to well, be the, any of that
0: there was a, what was it last weekend there was like a march where like a, something like a million people marched asking for a new referendum yeah
2: but um, they had said that they were that they were contemplating doing an emergency referendum voted, i don't know they voted it, that down did they vote that down already <laughs> i'm sorry i'm behind we were on vacation <laughs> Not,
0: Go, Go ahead, ahead. Phil. I don't, I don't, this feels a little bit like the thing we've talked about in U.S. politics, where this like partisanship drives everything, and this it feels like there is they're heading for a cliff. But both sides are so unwilling to budge out of their like hardcore positions that they're gonna like they're gonna end up in the worst possible outcome. Mm-hmm. Um, I you know I don't know what the solution is, but there's got to be some compromise solution. I, I, even if the compromise is, hey. Um, here are the two options, you know, uh, the, we're, we'll even put the, uh, you know, the options are not leave the, you know, the, the sort of labor policy. We're not going to leave um, the EU, the conservative policy, which is we're going to do a soft Brexit. Um, we're going to put it to a vote and let the people decide. Right. And then we will all stand by what they decide. Right. There's got to be some some solution. And it just feels like the politicians are so dug in and unwilling to move. That everybody's gonna—it's very. They're, they're yeah. It's
1: important to note that the European Union has negotiated a deal with Theresa May. So they keep going. This right. Donald Tusk, who's the—I don't know what for asylum, <laughs> <laughs> <Right. The> sanctuary. <laughs> yeah, his—he keeps saying that no, 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 no. Like we negotiated something. Like you right. guys can't just vote on something and it happens. Like the yeah. European Union has to agree to it. And all we're going to agree to is the Theresa May deal. That's it. I think that's part of the reason she keeps bringing it back because, like, this is the only one, guys. Like, there's nothing else, so...
0: It's interesting, you know, when, when I when I, you know, you you've taught international law before, too. Really? But like when when someone is sent out by the government to negotiate a treaty, they have to be like they have to have like documents that say I have the right to negotiate on behalf of this country. And so that's, you know, she is the EU, I mean, the UK representative in these negotiations. And mm. so for them to just say, no, we're not listening to what you say, of course, <laughs> it's going to end up in chaos. Yeah. And it seems like the EU has accepted that, like,
1: it's going to be a hard Brexit and it's going to suck for the UK. It's not going to be good for the EU as well. But like you said, Nick, there's nothing if you're going to behave like nincompoops that this is what you want. Well,
2: I mean, this is the thing this is really showing kind of the flaws and cracks in this this globalized international system. It was put in place in a certain specific way and it was never intended to be broken apart. And nobody has any idea how to handle this yeah. at this point. And I I it's going to be fascinating to see what I'm of the mindset that it'll be a hard Brexit at this point um, and it'll be complete economic chaos. But um, I, I'm I'm fascinated, uh, bizarrely, um, frighteningly fascinated to see what if this happens in in other parts of, of the EU or other globalized systems, which I guess we're kind of seeing here with with NAFTA and, and Mexico and Canada. But this is such an integral important part of the international economic system and they're just taking a giant dump on it and I yeah. just I cannot fathom that they, they're going to allow this to happen um, sovereign state system is still it's still number one Definitely. Number one, simply the best.
1: And this may act as a deterrent <laughs> to others because, let's say you're France or somebody else who's thinking, who's thought about leaving the EU. You look at the United Kingdom and you say, I don't want any part of that.
0: Yeah. Like,
2: we'll take the yellow vest. I, you guys exactly. can fucking yellow vest fuck is is way off. Better.
0: Yeah. I don't know if you saw today, the, like how a statement, I know we're out of time, but a statement of how bad it's gotten. Today, the, the BBC, the British Broadcasting Corporation. <laughs> started transferring some of its operations and its broadcasting licenses to Amsterdam. Oh <laughs> like boy. <the> BBC <laughs> is moving into the EU out of Britain. That's how bad things oh, are going. Oh, I love the BBC.
1: It's good stuff. But <laughs> I can't sleep at night it's all BBC. Oh my god. <laughs> Don't tell people that. <laughs> all right, next topic. So Trump Trump, Trump, Trump is wow. threatening to close the border. It's contagious. Yes. Over the last week, President Trump has repeatedly threatened to close the southern border with Mexico. In fact, on Tuesday, he even acknowledged that closing the southern border could seriously damage the U.S. economy, but said protecting America's security was more important than trade. Trump's frustration stems from the growing number of asylum seekers from Central America trying to cross into the United States. Trump also announced that he was cutting aid to El Salvador, Guatemala, and Honduras because of the high number of individuals fleeing those particular countries. Many have pointed out that cutting aid to those countries is likely to only increase the number of people leaving Central America. Phil, this is a tricky one. There's no doubt that the number of refugees crossing the southern border is increasing, but it's not clear that shutting down the border or cutting off aid is the best response. What's your read on all this?
0: My read is that I can't believe you said this is a tricky one. <laughs> well played. Shutting down the border and cutting off aid is the best response. <laughs> that... <laughs> so, um, I mean, okay, so my take on this. I, I, I was talking with my students about this earlier this week. I, I feel like a, a, a big chunk of what Trump says he, he just is making up, right? Like he's he's asked a question and he's just, you know, ad-libbing on the spot about some idea. And it, this feels like one of those where he like throws or somebody mentioned it or something, but he throws out this idea of shutting down the border without like, you know, it's not something that they're seriously considering. Now, having said that, I think sometimes he throws these ideas out and then acts on them. Mm-hmm. This one seems like one that he's, it's just the, the the consequences of doing so would be so steep and severe that he's going to throw this idea out, you know, rhetorically, but nothing's going to, he's not actually, gonna, I, I could be wrong, but I can't imagine that he actually acts on this. The The economic impact, the the, the consequences for, you know, the American auto industry, Mexico's what, our second, third largest third, trading partner. Yeah, year? yeah. Um The idea of just shutting down the border is i I just don't imagine that this is anything more than rhetoric.
1: You're right the mm. auto industry it is there's so many parts that are going back and forth it would it would essentially not shut down, but it would cripple
0: right the auto to mention industry,
1: which, avocado. Oh, I love some <laughs> guacamole
2: yeah so <laughs> I, 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 one of our um, someone who works for our company uh, works out of Australia, and uh, apparently they have a um, uh, a large uh, avocado harvest there that they import to the U.S. or something. And then he was saying, uh, if you shut down the border to Mexico, um, you're going to have to get our, your avocados from us, and that's going to increase the cost of my breakfast. I can't have that. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um,
2: but, I, I mean, even Trump was walking that back and saying, well, we're not, you know, we'll close the the border crossings, but we'll leave the truck lanes open for commerce um, and you know yeah. auto parts and and how do, things how do you like do that. that? I, I don't know. It's yeah. it's complete bullshit right, right, right. at this point. Yeah. But like I, I think that there was an argument for saying that this isn't this isn't a crisis. This is a crisis at this point. Uh, illegal crossings are at their highest point that they have been in a decade at this point. Um, point. Yeah. Um, and I was listening to a uh, stories on NPR. Uh, this morning, this is not coming out of Fox News or anything. It's about what people in Guatemala and El Salvador and Central America in general are hearing about coming to the U.S. And on the news, they're saying, "Yeah, if you come to the U.S. and you have a child with you, that you'll be detained for a short amount of time, and then you'll be released into the U.S. with a court date, a uh, release into the custody of a charity or something like that." And when they're getting here, they're just being released at a, a bus station or turned away or having to stay in Mexico. But, you know, the the amount of illegal smugglers and coyotes and all the people who are who are integral to this kind of influx of people is at at record highs. This is a severe, mm-hmm. severe problem at this point. And you can talk about it being an economic crisis, but it's certainly a humanitarian crisis. Um, something drastic does need to be done. Closing the border is idiotic and just asinine, but there needs to be some sort of drastic change at the southern border, I
1: think. And I think Democrats have to be proactive about this. It doesn't mean they have to support closing the border or anything like that, but you can't sit back and say that it's not a problem, because you're right, Nick. It is... It is it is truly a humanitarian crisis. When you hear the stories of the people that are crossing the border, and it's it's mostly families. It's a lot of women and children. And you're absolutely right. Uh, and apparently the, the the families that cross, you have to have documentation. So you know Trump likes to talk about that. It's just some gangster with a child. No, you have to Which show. Does happen. It does. Have, but it's rare, right? I mean, you have to have documentation that these are your children. Um, it is. It really is. It's it's heartbreaking when you see some of these stories, and the sheer number is also. Dramatic. No
2: system is able to handle that. And we're lucky to have the resources that we do at this point. I I mean, any other industrialized nation or (laughs) non-industrialized nation at this point that was receiving this kind of influx of immigrants on a daily, weekly, monthly basis would not be able to handle that in any capacity. And and the fact that we're handling it at all is shocking to
0: me. So so I... regardless of your take on this trump's decision to cut aid to the countries that oh. people are fleeing from seems just incredibly counterproductive yeah. right i mean it seems like if the, I, if you're wanting to if this actually is a crisis if this is a problem then making conditions worse in the places they are leaving is the exact opposite of what we should be doing that that's that is Mind blowing to me that that is the. But the they're case. already leaving. Well, no, like, no. no. The
1: data, the data on this is pretty clear, though. They, 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 I don't know where I read this, but they were saying that every time there is a shooting or violence, like it leads to a certain number of individuals fleeing the country, and they're inevitably heading to the United States. And so, if you can find any way to decrease that violence, it prevents individuals leaving the country coming to the United States. So, aid, which is minuscule, like what we give to Central right. America, is it's nothing. Right. Um, You're right. But it's a good investment. It, all right. So fine.
2: We'll, <laughs> we'll 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 take that point. Yeah. The point we're, we're still giving aid to central and south America at, at at this particular point. And these people are still coming and have been coming for the better part of 2 years at this point. And and we'll talk about sure. you know we can talk about the the numbers over the the past decade or so. If the number is so minuscule at this point and the conditions are still really fucking terrible, and just about all of these Central American countries that we're receiving Mm -hmm. asylum seekers from, what is the
1: detriment to get rid of the aid? It it doesn't make it better, right? I mean, so... How? It's not as if aid improves the situation, but it's such a...
0: Sure, sure it does. <laughs> sure it does. Well, you're right. We don't right, you're just right. give money out because hey, we have extra money. We give aid because it improves the financial and economic situation right, right. of the countries yeah, that's good we're point. giving it. But through. it's not. It's
2: clearly not improving that because no, they're it, coming here. It
1: could get worse, no, though, that, right? That's, that's the thing, right? It, it could yeah. be worse if you if you can t- discontinue this. The situation in those countries will deteriorate, and there will be more people fleeing. Okay, so yeah. we either
2: need to make a significantly yes. larger investment and have our you know tip the balance or. Tip the scale in in favor of us and have a, a more heavy-handed uh, influence in our hemisphere, which people don't like, anyways. Um, considering the the history of U.S. involvement in Central and South American coups and government changes or government um, uh, overthrows over the past century or so, so what is what is what do we do at <laughs> well, this it, well, point?
0: I, I mean, I so I this is I. I taught blowback Chalmers Johnson in my U.S. foreign policy class this week. And you know Chalmers Johnson, the idea of we are past time, I know. But we don't his (laughs) argument essentially is that, you know, American policy is oftentimes invisible to American citizens. Mm -hmm. So the stuff that we are doing abroad is not visible, but it has implications. It has repercussions. And this seems like a perfect example of that. Right. We uh, American citizens see all of a sudden there are all these refugees from Central America at our at our doors. But what they don't see is the U.S. involvement in the countries that, that Trump is cutting aid to, right? So if you're looking at El Salvador and, what well, was El Salvador, Guatemala, Guatemala and, and Honduras. Honduras, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Honduras. So we screwed over El Salvador in the 1980s, right Honduras we uh, w- had major military presence in because we were dabbling in Nicaragua. We like lots of people point to the militarization of Honduran politics because of US involvement there. Sure. There was a military coup that overthrew a democratically elected leader in, in Honduras under the oh, under yeah. the under the Obama administration and we just let it go. So like there are the, these those things have implications. So if we just see this, in a vacuum which is that there are all these people showing up at our door and it's a crisis then i mean i that doesn't it, that can be true but we also have to realize that our policies have an impact and so if we can of course you know I, you know beto o'rourke i i don't you know i'm still very much kind of on hold about beto because i don't i haven't seen a whole lot of policy from him but he has talked <clears throat> about this about if we're going to deal with immigration we have to address the sort of root causes of the immigration like we have to work to stabilize central america yeah I agree. and that's great and that is the exact opposite of what donald trump is trying to do and so I, I think let's let's embrace it right if this is if this really is a crisis i'm not convinced that it is but if it's a crisis then let's deal with it let's get to the the core problems and 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 make it so that there aren't incentives for people to flee their country I, and and we're, we've been really shitty at that as a as a country
2: i 100 percent agree with all of that and realistically i think we're pretty much saying the same thing just on different wavelengths um i, I but you guys have said like the amount of money that we're giving to these countries is minuscule mm-hmm. so again, the the option, at least from a symptomatic standpoint, a short term standpoint for what we're dealing with right now, is it to cut off aid and uh, attempt to make illegal border crossing significantly more difficult and uncomfortable for people or do we look at a more long term perspective and significantly increase investment in Central American countries where we fucked a lot of people over previously and see how that Turns around politically, like that's going to take decades at this point but to think, rectify that. Let's
1: Think about what we spend on terrorism right now, and what we spend. Terrorism is of, terrible, right? Right. But you know, in terms of the strategic threat posed to the United States, I, I think we spend an awful lot on terrorism, maybe too much. So you could redirect some of those funds to say, "On oh, America, it's be. in our interest to address what's going on in Central America because it's affecting our borders. It would be good for those countries." I, I don't know, I, I think you could spend a whole lot more, both in terms of just aid, but also political capital, economic ca- economic capital, and change the dynamic But we've there.
2: shown we're not good at that anyways. We really, like, there's a certain point where we just go, ah, we've had enough, and you just need to go, it especially na- in Central and South America.
1: Nation building, right. yes, but I don't know if what's going on in Central America is nation building, or just sort of, I don't know, it, it, it feels like a different animal to me. Okay. No. So, I don't
2: know where we are right now. <laughs> we're okay. We're almost, so we should pick one of the next two topics. So all right, Why? so Nick, your turn
1: Obamacare dead or Venezuela, which one? and then we can we can finish up with dumb and dumber, but uh God, I do love Venezuela. should we do Venezuela? I don't know can we do? You want to
2: to do? We've been gone for two weeks. Should we we go somewhere to be? No, fuck it. Let's throw the rules out out there. Let's go (laughs) along.
1: So, Obamacare. Let's start there. Healthcare is back in the news, thanks to President Trump. (laughs) Last week, Trump had surprised many by ordering his administration to ask a federal court to invalidate the entire Affordable Care Act, and then went on to promise a Republican replacement. Trump tweeted, quote, the Republicans are developing a really great health care plan with far lower premiums and deductibles than Obamacare. Uh, in other words, it will be far less expensive and much, much more usable than Obamacare, end quote. <laughs> Democrats were ecstatic to shift the conversation away from the Mueller report to health care. And behind the scenes, Republicans warned Trump that the Senate would not take up a health care bill before the 2020 election. On Tuesday, Trump backpedaled a bit and conceded that a replacement would have to wait until after the election. Nevertheless, it appears that Trump wants health care to be a major issue for the 2020 presidential election. Phil, health care is a big reason the Democrats did so well in the midterms. Is it smart for Trump to be raising this issue now? No. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's why we can do this one. It's going to be right. real quick for sure. everybody. Yeah.
0: <laughs> no, this, I mean, this is, uh, Republicans, right? Mitch McConnell and others have to be cringing at this, yeah. that this has actually been re-brought up again, right? The, the the Republicans tried to do this with Obamacare many times, tried to cancel it. It didn't work. Obamacare is widely popular now um, amongst all sides. So- like, the, the, the policies itself are popular. I think if you ask people about Obamacare, the term, <laughs> it's probably more divisive. But um, it, you know, the, the, the core principles are, are well-liked. The, I, this just, is, it, it just doesn't make sense. This feels to me like, again, Trump just kind of talking about stuff that has been popular in the past at rallies and so he's mentioning it again and he's not a strategic political thinker he's not someone who's used to washington dc politics or getting this stuff done and doesn't realize how dumb this is the other (laughs) part so i mean just strategically like it just this is a winner for the democrats um and this i should say this is another element where I think Democrats might have to be careful as well, because the Democrats have continued on because of Republican uh, attacks on Obamacare to shift even further left, right, with with single payer, Mm -hmm. uh, Medicare for all, that sort of thing. I'm not saying those policies are bad, but I I don't know, like, it seems like Democrats have a winner, right, in Obamacare. People like Obamacare. um, The idea of sort of, of campaigning not on we're gonna ditch Obamacare and go even further, but hey this is an issue that republicans are opposed to we came up with this it you know it, that seems like a winner for democrats so you know i have a personal preferences that may not line up with that but from a political standpoint i think that makes sense for democrats to you know, stick with the Obamacare side of it. Mm -hmm. The other part of this is that Trump's just like he's just making shit up. Right. Mm -hmm. Like that. He talks about a Republican plan that's going to do X, Y and Z. There's no Republican plan that does that, that lowers costs and guarantees coverage. And so basically he's promising all the stuff Obamacare does at a lower cost and in a a way that won't actually cost anybody their coverage. It's 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 nonsense it's just not it's not possible Mm -hmm. why would republicans Um, want to own that right i mean yeah yeah so i it's just it's just crazy that he i mean there again we've talked about sort of base and whatnot there are people uh, that are sort of diehard republicans that will eat that up that love that idea even though it clearly the dots don't connect Mm -hmm. but it just seems for this the middle of america the swing voters the people who will determine the next election this is this is a losing issue for for trump and republicans
2: it was just such like the timing is yeah. god awful why right, the yeah. fuck would you do that you got this huge win yes. and then immediately like you turn him no no fuck was two, this it was like two days thing after, wasn't it? yeah it was it was i i saw that I go, you gotta be kidding me this has to be a joke and just the lack of foresight and just again strategic thinking like you were talking about it just makes no sense because you know there's no substance to it whatsoever. He's just spouting shit that nobody, there's been no, there's no substance to at all. There's no policy behind it. There's certainly no legislation behind it because the Senate has no interest in taking this up at all. <laughs> I just, I, I like, I don't understand. And realistically, if we're talking about Obamacare, it has huge issues and the way that they push it through i i like i'll never let that go but i think it's a a very basic framework that you can kind of mold and change and transform into something that could potentially someday be a viable thing um but on the republican side Uh, um, not even the Republican side. From the administration standpoint, this is just a dumb thing to attack. From the Democratic uh, standpoint, going even farther left of this is is ridiculous. I I, I don't think... I think from a a, a high-minded, you know, very kind of basic perspective, yeah, everybody should have healthcare. I would really love to know how you're going to pay for it. So, I, I...
1: I, I don't know. It's just dumb. Everybody's dumb. <laughs> to, to go back to what you started with, they, they asked somebody from the Trump administration, like uh, one of the papers said, you know, why would Trump bring this up days after this great victory? And they said, well, because he had a good day, right? I mean, it was just like it yeah. was – and you could tell mm-hmm. the frustration about this. Mm-hmm. I wonder about the generational impact. So there was, there's been some political science research that suggests that young people are trending democratic.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, and young people love health care. And so if you're gonna do this, right? I mean if you're gonna hit this issue, and Trump is hitting this issue in a way that's really, you know, not good, I, I think that down the road Republicans are gonna really regret the choices that Trump made, the political battles that he he picks. Um, this is not a good one. I mean okay. it,
0: it is it's like the perfect example of an unforced error. Yeah. Right? yeah. Like, this is uh, totally unnecessary.
1: Because the argument, you know, the argument you always hear is that, well, people start liberal and they become conservative. But the yes. reality is that's not always the case. I mean, FDR created a generation of Democrats. Reagan created a generation of Republicans. I think Trump is creating a generation of Democrats because of choices like this. You know, I'm and, and so Nick, you're too old. You're so too old. You're too old. You I'm too know. old now. <laughs> yes. I am a
2: millennial. <laughs> yeah. supposedly. Generation Z. <laughs> God no! Please don't let me. No, 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 not you. you I'm saying that
1: generation is, is a different place. Yeah, right? but this is
2: this is a weird. I, I don't know. This mm-hmm. is this is a weird time where. It's, it's not just the political viewpoint of a party. Now you have, you know, uh, an, uh, an immense amount of outside influence from the media and, and um, social media. And that's probably included in the media. Yeah. But um, I just, mm, I, I think that this generation thinks, yeah, everybody should have health care. But there's not a, there, kids are dumb. I'm sorry. Kids are fucking dumb. Um, and Nick and, McGuire,
1: at NickMcGuire.com. Yeah, but I mean,
2: then you have you have Democrats <laughs> trying to lower the voting age to fucking 16. And you know that's because they're influential and they know that kids lean Democratic.
0: Totally on, totally on board, I think, <laughs> that should go lower than 16. <laughs> but I, I for just, different reasons than you're arguing. <laughs> <laughs> like, I just, I, I don't,
2: when people say that and, and it's it's creating a generation of of whatever you're talking about, I don't necessarily agree with that because there's there's just such a, a a foundational shift in the way that people think between you know their late teens and their early 20s and into their late 20s. Yeah, it's just that's
1: the form- formative period. There, it is yeah.
2: a formative period, but I, like I hope that this generation can. What the hell am I saying? They all just fucking yeah, look yeah. at their phones. They and love Obama. Fucking, they hate Trump. Right? That's a generation of Democrats. I'm, I'm done. All I'm right, just that's stop old my for point. a pretty young guy. <laughs> uh, all right. Oh,
1: on that note, let's move to Venezuela. Nick, you'll like that. <laughs> so the U.S. and Russia are at odds once again. This time in Venezuela. Over the last week, the Trump administration has escalated warnings about Russian intervention in the country claiming that Moscow is helping to prop up President uh, Nicolas Maduro of Venezuela and undermining the hopes of American officials that the Venezuelan military will oust him. On Friday, our favorite John Bolton, Mr. Uh, Trump's national security advisor, said that the arrival of roughly 100 Russian military advisors in the country, along with new arms, posted a, quote, direct threat to international peace and security in the region. Mr. Bolton warned that no country should enter the Western Hemisphere, quote, with the intent of establishing or expanding military operations. Nick, those are fighting words. Ooh, girl, let's go. And Bolton's hard line sets up a test for the administration. Will Venezuela be the place where Trump, who has been reluctant to push back on Putin, finally draws a red line? Again, this 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 might be my favorite topic. Uh, The Trump administration has been successful in getting much of the international community to support the regime. And now Putin is ready to directly challenge that view. Phil, what are we to make of all this? Is
0: is, is Trump? Is, what's going on here? What are we thinking? <laughs> uh, I'm excited about this one. So I mean, there, I, there's so many layers to this, right? Mm-hmm. There's so so many aspects of this to talk about. Like, uh, you know, I just from an IR perspective, I think I I think about um, the U.S. is is correct, right? Mm-hmm. I think yeah, the, I think the Trump administration is right to support uh the the sort of the well the transfer of power democratization you know the the, the moving towards Guaido and away from uh, Maduro um Putin is also technically correct right Venezuela has the right to invite russian forces into their country if we go back to sovereignty they absolutely have this right until Maduro is gone and out of power this is legally technically ethically the okay thing for them to do so that that puts this weird standoff in place right i mean this is kind of the the quite in my classes i talk about the the sort of two big issues overarching kind of ideas in international politics or sovereignty that a country gets to do whatever the hell it wants and self-determination mm-hmm. this sort of human rights like people get to choose their government and they're clashing right here right this is an example of that um Beyond that, like, I, yeah, I mean, it's a really interesting. I, I, I'm not sure how much to read into Trump himself, right? Because mm-hmm. this feels John Bolton-y, right? Mm-hmm. This feels like Trump has talked about Venezuela, but this feels like John Bolton. So if push comes to shove, what will Trump do? Uh, I don't know. He tends to, you know, when he locks in on an idea, he tends to, to follow it down that that road. But um, would he go ahead? I... I I don't love the idea of sort of digging into policy positions. I don't like the idea that the U.S. is claiming that no one else has a right to be in the U.S., uh, like in the Western Hemisphere. And I don't like it. We talked about, you know, Obama got criticized for drawing a line with with Syria on chemical weapons and then not following through on it. And so if if we're going to start drawing lines about who can and can't get involved in Venezuela, we have to, in the name of American credibility, be willing to act on those, and and I don't know that we are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I just said a whole lot of stuff without concluding anything. So well,
1: I don't <laughs> know, but you know, you use the word sovereignty, and Nick, you use the word sovereignty as well. I Earlier did in the podcast, do that. This is my favorite podcast because everybody has talked about sovereignty. <laughs> uh. Oh. Nick, what are you thinking about the the sovereign rights of
2: Venezuela? It's an interesting thing, because I feel like the sovereign rights of of Venezuela in general, um, the current government that is in place was probably put in place by illegitimate means to begin with. So I'm not sure that... Their sovereign right. Correct. (laughs) Not self-determination. No, not at all. But it's... I think at this point... um, We've seen enough from an economic and humanitarian standpoint to say that this is a, a, a national crisis that is not being alleviated by the government that's currently in power, um, on top of the fact that this is a nation in our hemisphere that has um, just more direct access to the US and more of a, 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 is more of a, strate- a strategic threat um, to the region. Uh, I tend to agree with I'll say uh, I'll initially say Trump, but I mean Bolton. Um, yeah, if they come here, we should we should kick their ass. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's 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 a really interesting thing. What um, the whole thing is just a, a complete clusterfuck. Did, were, did you guys hear about the story when the the caravans of food got down there at at, at the bridge where they hosted? dueling concerts, one for the Maduro supporters and one for the Guaido supporters. Absurd, yeah. And (laughs) it was supposed to be this thing where we have all this food and the military was supposed to come over and then they start lobbing tear gas and then the opposition starts lobbing Molotov cocktails. The country is in complete chaos at this point. So...
0: It's I, good old fashioned fun. I know. know
2: this is a it's from oh man. It's like the 80s all over again. <laughs> um, I I mean, I'm of this the standpoint that this is um, an economically viable country that could be a a significant um, U.S. partner or should be a significant U.S. partner. And we've seen enough evidence that Russia has no interest in doing anything but throwing the the world system into chaos. So, I, whatever influence you have to do from a more clandestine kind of underhanded perspective, I'm all about to the point. You know, mild military intervention, because um, I don't think the Venezuelan military is going to put up much of a fight. And Russia, this isn't their backyard. This is not Russia's backyard. So. This is I I just can't see them, you know, doing much
1: to to me. This is an example why global alliances and coalitions are so important, because Putin is taking advantage of the fact that there is less agreement among both NATO countries and American countries. And he's he's trying to draw a wedge here. What the United States needs to do is reinforce all of the Americas to say this is inappropriate, get out. Even Venezuela is saying we have the right to, you know, sovereign right to bring these countries in. Like, this is, again, this is why alliances matter and why the international community matters. And if you don't have everybody backing you, there are going to be countries, Putin, who are going to try to, like, force a wedge and create discord. And no, that's the, fuck that. It's us we, we, in Russia again. He's, <laughs> Putin's a bad guy. This is This is dangerous
0: behavior. It's just I, we we just need to think it through, right? Either way, I, as we were talking, the parallels to Syria are kind of uh-huh. startling, right? Uh-huh. That That you have on the side of sovereignty, Russia saying we have a right to intervene on behalf of this government that's not popular but is in power. And, the, you know, the U.S. and other countries saying, you know, but self-determination, this is a bad government that's abusing their power and treating, you know, it's creating human rights violations and, and economic crises. Um, and, you know, we talked a big game in Syria, but aren't willing to... I mean, we acted on it, but not like all out acting on it. And I could see that I could see this being intentional on Putin to, you know, do the same thing again, continue to kind of push the U.S. to show if they actually stand up for the. I don't want to advocate for military confrontation over Venezuela, but it's where we you know when we when we talk this way when we talk rhetoric and that's where the you know like you were saying alliances and stuff can come into it because if you have multiple voices saying this and not just one it, it carries a little bit more weight but at, at some point if we really believe these things we're saying we have to start acting on them mm-hmm. yeah right that's a good topic there. i do well, like that one i'm most excited about this final topic though. <laughs> <laughs> this
2: is a good one
1: yes <laughs> all right because we can't make this up so Uh, (laughs) Alessandra Mussolini, the granddaughter of fascist dictator Benito Mussolini, is engaged in a Twitter war with, wait for it, Jim Carrey. (laughs) It started on Saturday when Carrey tweeted out a sketch showing the elder Mussolini and his mistress being hanged upside down from a metal girder in Milan after their execution in 1945. Uh, Carrey wrote, quote, if you're wondering what fascism leads to, just ask Benito Mussolini and his mistress. Now, uh, Alessandro Mussolini tweeted back, "You sir are a bastard." Um, and continued to attack Kerry is she Irish. Yeah, that's true. She's gone there, right? Sorry about that. So, she continued to attack Kerry over the weekend. Now, let me tell you a bit about her. She's a far-right politician who's a member of the European Parliament. I didn't feel, I didn't think you could just Be a fascist and be a member of the european parliament but apparently so she's long defended her deceased grandfather in 1992 after graduating from medical school she was elected to the italian parliament as a member of the neo-fascist italian social movement her campaign was backed by die-hard fascists but she herself has declared that she's a supporter of democracy insisting that she hates the word fascism so gentlemen i ask you this who is more likely to be victorious in a twitter war A comedian or a fascist? Now, Nick, what? (laughs) Do it, Phil. (laughs) There are no winners.
0: Thank you. No, no. You have to answer, (laughs) Nick, as as the comedian of the group.
1: (laughs) Uh, All right. Who's more likely to win this one?
2: Oh, poor Ace Ventura. Um, Oh,
1: Dumb and Dumber Two. That was terrible. uh, That was that was an awful movie. Yeah. (laughs) Dumb and Dumber
0: Two. This is
2: like there can't be any other exponent, any other any other um, result. There are no winners in this situation. More
1: than more importantly, this so Nick is isn't engaging the question.
2: No, no, this is a perfect example of why none of this shit matters. Like neither of these Jim Carrey certainly doesn't matter, yeah. and in the context of what we're talking about, she certainly doesn't matter. Like I I, I I've never seen her or, or heard about her in my entire life. Um and I I have I have most of my family is still in Italy at this point and I've never heard anything about her. <laughs> like I, I I don't I don't care, but it's this shit, this Twitter bullshit, this yeah. social media nonsense that doesn't mean anything. Like you, Jim Carrey is not an authority on fascism or democracy what? for that matter. Like it's just He's he's doing like finger paintings of Trump and like scrawling something with like cat shit on it. I like I
1: don't care about that. Phil, Phil Nick won't answer the question. I'm just losing <laughs> my mind at this point.
0: I'm not gonna answer. I'm not gonna be able to answer it either. So I mean, I, I, when your last name is Mussolini, <laughs> she is a fiery Italian
2: though, and I do appreciate that, despite the fact that she's a fascist.
0: Yeah. She's she's weird. She's yeah. got I mean she's had a she's had weirdly progressive views over the years and but at the same time she broke with her old political party because they said fascism was bad <laughs> but then she doesn't like fascism. It's it's a it's a it's a weird thing. I I, I had all sorts of feelings about this. I, I, there's part of me that was sympathetic to her. Cause like, you know, if Jim Carrey drew a picture of my grandfather dead and hanging in the streets, that would, you know, it would evoke emotions with me. But also if my grandfather were a fascist dictator, that would also evoke emotions. So I'm not real sympathetic to her getting upset of someone drawing a historically accurate picture of her fascist grandfather, um, in his death. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, I, I what the hell? Like, all yeah, right, Jim Carrey is critiquing. I mean, I guess in some ways, if I, ha- if you took the names off of it, then I would say, you know, I, I don't think Jim Carrey's an expert in this, but I appreciate his point <laughs> better than, <laughs> than Mussolini's point about, that's mean to my grandpa. I'm sorry, guys. Nope. Oh, you're fine.
1: I forgot that. <laughs> I forgot to put the no up. Sorry. <laughs> we knew we forgot yeah. something. <laughs> yes. Okay, let me let me reframe the conversation. So what I asked you, I didn't say who's right Jim Carrey or granddaughter Mussolini, but who's more likely to be victorious in a Twitter war? A comedian or a fascist? So if we narrow is, is, can, does that help? He hasn't been funny in fucking
2: 15 no, no, no. years
0: at this point. A comedian. Take the, take the names off of it. Yeah, if you of take it. the names off. A comedian. A good comedian and a good fashion. Yes, a good Oh, fashion. if we're
2: just talking about that, it yeah. should be the comedian every day of the week. Okay. Realistically, she should have been, she should have said, um, yeah, uh, I'm going to print this out and send it to you. Can you sign it so I can give it to my kids
1: or something like yes. that? I, I just... I, See, I, I, I think you're right, Nick. I think, okay, so Mussolini's an idiot, right? She's terrible. Jim Carrey's, you know, Dumb and Dumber was great, but uh, <laughs> Dumb and Dumber was ter- two, 2 was terrible. But in if we're, theoretically, the comedian should win this battle. Yes. It, but the more I thought about it, fascists are persistent. They don't give up. So in a Twitter war, the fascist is likely to continue to stay online so I you know I'm not so sure
0: that they, they you know the comedian wins <laughs> There's yeah, a, so I would yeah. say in in like the real world yeah like does humor or intolerance win I would I would think that the advantage goes to the comedian on Twitter. The fascists really like twitter See, I, th- I think the fascists is, might win on twitter this,
2: this is good here's the differentiation between the two like realistically a comedian should win the comedians who are who are on twitter picking these fights are not comedians anymore you're now political commentators advocating for a certain political perspective that realistically is more than likely more extreme than most people regardless of what political perspective you're talking about and I say, regardless of what political perspective, but it's always one perspective over another. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they're, they're they're both just idiots. Like if you want, if it's a real comedian who's just trying to be funny, absolutely, one hundred percent of the time they should win. But now we have this new generation of people who think that they're enlightened and woke about all of these issues because they have a uh, they have a platform to. Put something out there and then they get some sort of support and then they change their tune to be more politically inclined than comedically inclined you're not a comedian anymore you are not ace ventura you're not um god lloyd christmas i couldn't remember the name wow you're just this asshole who does these stupid finger paintings you're not a comedian
1: what i, what I want to <laughs> see is i want to see Mussolini's granddaughter and the bean going against each other Uh, that would be a fun one right Mm -hmm. yeah
0: what were you going to say? Your it? your point is totally well. Like it's you're, I, it's well taken. It's totally valid. But I also would say you don't have to be that woke to say fascism bad. No, I <laughs> agree. straightforward.
2: All, realistically, all he had to do was make a funny comment. Like you can put that out there, and I'm sure they're going to have some sort of weird political response to it. Do something really sarcastic and funny, and just end it there. And I would appreciate that. But he's not singer- that
0: person. A really good zinger in response right. to her, you bastard, would have, like, done it. Right? Yeah, you're right. That's you're
1: right. it. I'm so happy with this topic. Oh, Nick. that <laughs> was a fun one. Oh, my God in heaven. <laughs> <laughs> I
2: missed doing this. Oh. <laughs> we can't take that long of a break no. ever, ever again. Um, regardless, uh, yeah, that's it for this week, guys. Um, if you guys like the podcast, have questions about the podcast, um comments beer suggestions anything like that uh follow us on twitter at barstool paul uh facebook at barstool politics uh beers uh you can find on untapped on ios or android just look for barstool politics uh the podcast uh itunes spotify uh google play music stitcher um uh, most major podcasting platforms uh predicted uh we are partnered with predicted which is a uh a Real money political prediction market. Oh, okay, I'm just getting notifications. Uh, pretty much the stock market for politics, where you can buy and sell shares in future political events. Uh, Barstool Politics listeners, if you open up a new account, uh, predict it will uh, m- uh, uh, receive up to a twenty dollars match on their first deposit. Uh, so open up a twenty dollars account. Uh, predict it will match the twenty dollars, giving you forty dollars to use. Um, just use the promo link predicted. org slash promo slash uh, twenty and check that out. I promise I'm not slurring. I was just trying to get that out (laughs) somehow. Good job. Oh, God. Um, It's good to be back, guys. I think it was a good one. (laughs) Uh, Anything else? I think we're good. Cool. We will see you guys next week then. Cheers. Cheers. Bye.